You are listening to Real Men Feel with Andy Grant. Real Men Feel encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been taught, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having, but all men can benefit from. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Now, let's get to it. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. I'm your host, Andy Grant, and <laughs> I am not feeling good today. Um, hmm. I'm really feeling the sadness like of the world, of our society, of everything happening. It's been, I've been on the verge of tears for a few days, and the, the racial relations is kind of putting it over the top for me, maybe. Um, someone, I just found out someone is trying to commit unemployment fraud in my name. <laughs> that's, that's another weird thing happening, but I'm just, I'm, I'm, I've always been empathic and, and in the past I would get in trouble thinking the sadness and depression I might feel was, was, was me, was mine. And, and it wasn't. And I, I feel like I'm just feeling the general dread and fear of humanity right now. And it's really unsettling. Um, and if this was any other conversation, I wouldn't even do a show today. That's how like weird and off I feel, but Mm -hmm. returning today is a psychotherapist and author of 16 books. Who's been helping men and women. (laughs) Let's take it again. Returning as my returning guest today is psychotherapist and author of 16 books. Who's been helping men and the women who love them for over 40 years. Glad to have Jed diamond here. Good to be with you, Andy. Uh, so you had sent me a, a couple documents, and I was reading them last night and this morning, and talking about the, the, the shift from from pre-COVID life to post-COVID life, and what has to happen, and what what do you see are are the big lessons? Well, there's a lot of big lessons. One of which you're you're just expressing personally is that uh, this is probably the the first event in human history, that's a long time, human history, that something has both impacted the entire world at the same time. That's number one. Secondly, has put as many people at risk for their lives and their well-being. And third, that we're constantly being bombarded with knowing what's going on everywhere and how it's affecting people. So there was a pandemic in 1918, where most of us were not alive during that time, that killed 50 to 100 million people worldwide. But most people didn't know about it. There was a a war going on. And so we, you know, people were very aware of the war, not so much about the virus. So the fact that this is here at this time, that it's affected the whole world, it's, it's a very contagious virus, so it's easy for people to get it. Secondly, it's a virus that doesn't make people sick initially, so many people can have it and you don't know it. And third, 80% of the people who get it will not have serious symptoms. So all the people we hear that are dying, for the most part, that mean you can't die from it if you're in a low-risk group, but the 20% are in a high-risk group, people who are older, like me, 
who are male. Turns out males are dying at twice the rate as females at every age, you know, or have other kind of health issues, uh, cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, uh, diabetes, overweight, a number of things that make you more likely. So the result is we are feeling whether it is affecting us personally. We feel the deaths that are going on. We feel the violence that's going on. We feel the fear that's going on. We feel the, you know, that tendency to deny, you know, I don't want to feel it. I don't want to know it. I just want to drink and, you know, eat, drink and be merry and not, not think about it or go out and party. And so all of that is basically a response to the fact that we're all in this together. There is a virus out there that for the most part won't kill everybody, but will kill a significant number of people. And the response though is affecting everybody. The fear that it causes is affecting everybody. The anger that it brings out is affecting everybody. The look for, you know, a cause, a scapegoat. Well, you know, I can't, I can't see the virus. I can't hit it. I can't defend it. So I will take my anger out on this person, or I will, you know, get in a, a fight with my wife or my kids or my dog or whatever. So everybody, to some degree or other, is feeling what you're feeling today. You know, I felt it two weeks ago, and now I feel better. And it'll come back again, and I'll be a mess, you know, from now. And so part of, I think, the healing is just what you're doing. Instead of going, well, I'll just keep to myself, I'll just hide. We need to tell each other, hey, you know what? Today is a pretty rough day. Or for me, in this case, today's a really good day. You know, I'm feeling great. My wife's feeling good. You know, I'm, I'm putting out good information that I think will help people. I'm safe. I'm alive. My kids are safe and alive. So it's a good day. But I guarantee I will be feeling some of those ups and down feeling that you're feeling. And so is everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's everything. For, for a while, during the beginning of the pandemic, I felt so good. I almost felt bad for feeling good, like not being afraid or something. Yeah. <laughs> and, and even now, uh, you know, the, the news just came out today. We're recording this May 28th that now one in four Americans are unemployed. So that number keeps growing and now it's more right. than the depression ever was. So I, it, I, what seems to be driving fear in the streets is economic fear, their well-being right. as opposed to their health. And you know we have a, a president that can't even agree that what his own task force says is the thing to do is the thing to do. So we have this battle of what is the truth, uh, even if you believe, and even beyond that, there's some people arguing different things of the truth of the virus and is it real, where did it come from and all that. Uh, conspiracy theory sort of stuff is just bubbling over, but now with with the the, the death in Minneapolis, um, it was you know a, a murder of a black man in the street by a police officer. I don't know how you can call it anything else but that. Sure. And I, I have not watched the news because I I'm just was already uh, triggered and troubled by all of this. I I did a show a few weeks ago where I had three. Um, prior guests return, all African Americans, talking about the fear they live in every day, and I really. I had an inkling, I guess, but I didn't know that it was really every day and how afraid they are and the yeah. impact on their lives. And so it's been hitting me way more now than any other past time. And it's, it's 
horrible and tragic that there are past times of, of black men being killed by police as well. But I've seen it over and over and I didn't have to watch and I knew Minneapolis was going to end up with riots and violence. And I, you know, that's, that's what's happened. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm ready to give up on us. I'm used to feeling this way about myself, but now I feel it like for everybody, like I'm, I'm going to start cheering for the virus. I want a stronger virus. Like, do we even deserve to be here anymore? Well, here's the deal. From my perspective, you said, what's the, what's the bigger picture? Um, this virus, number one, as I said, it's impacting everybody in the world at the same time. What you're describing in the streets, and we could cite many, many examples that tell us a couple of things, big picture things. It's telling us that we're out of balance with nature. Viruses like these don't just happen. The reason that they happen has to do with the way in which humans are interacting, in this case, with the animal world, um, because that's how viruses get from animals where they live fairly okay. Viruses have been around for, you know, 3.5 billion years. Uh, You know, they've been around almost as long as life has been around. Mm -hmm. And generally, they interact in a natural way with most of the environment, including the animals that they inhabit. And they don't kill a lot of people because, you know, they spread. That's what they do. That's the only way viruses live. They get into other living cells. But clearly what's going on is humans are out of balance with the natural world. The reason that these viruses are jumping from animal hosts into humans is because humans are doing things, you know, to interact with animals in live animal markets where They're getting these exotic species that are then put into cages and then killed live in these markets because the feeling was this will make you sexier or this will give you that that wild animal taste. So humans are interacting in ways that are not good for humans, not good for the environment, and we're getting a wake-up call. Same thing with these kind of events that are happening everywhere that tell us the environment is not in balance, that we're heating up the planet. So here's the deal that makes it, I think, a choice point in human history. You know, it seems very clear to me that what the big picture message is, is that we have a choice. We can either change our ways, and that goes everywhere from changing how we interact with minorities in our own world, to how we interact with the environment, to how we interact with animals, to how we interact with ourselves. And it's saying we can step up in ways that say, you know what, we're gonna change things. We're not gonna do it the same old way because the truth is the same old, same old, whether it's how we treat black people in the United States or how we treat animals in China or how we treat the environment everywhere, This is saying if we do what we've been doing, humans won't be around. You know, the viruses will be here long after we're gone, and homo sapiens will disappear. Or we can decide, just like when we stop being so at work, industrial work, the air got cleaner. You know, the environment got nicer. We can work at things and make a good living without wrecking our environment. We can create an economy, you know, that works for people, but not the kind of economy we've had that 
continues to use up more and more of the Earth's resources and make garbage and waste, and we think we can do that forever. So we have a choice, and I think, uh, you know, where, where do I want to put my energy? I can either say, well, fuck it, yeah, let's, let's all go down with the ship and just, you know, leave the world for the viruses, or we can say, you know what, we can at least, we're going to die someday, no matter what, right? I mean, right. That, that isn't a choice. You're going to die, I'm going to die. Everybody alive today is going to die. It's a question of what do you want to do with the life that you have? And part of it, do I want to feel my truth and feel my real feelings? Or do I want to pretend I don't feel that way? Do I want to push them aside or do I want to share them publicly as we are right now? Hmm. And then beyond that, how do I want to show up for my children? I have five children and 17 grandchildren. And what do I want to leave for them? Do I want to give up on them and say, well, you know, I, I'm going to leave it to the virus, let them take everybody my kids, my grandkids, future generations, or do I want to say, you know what, I can't go back to business as usual because that's just slower death and will eventually kill them too, or do I want to start doing in my own life and teaching other people in their lives, how do we make the changes that absolutely have to be made and that this virus is telling us, is teaching us, hey, you know what, you want to be in relationship, you want to live as a species, 3.5 billion years, ex instead of the way you're going now, which is gonna be a, a very short human lifespan for our species, if we don't get the message and wake up. Well, I think there's a lot of people waking up right now because we're forced to, and we're waking up to a lot of the destructive things we've done, and we're waking, waking up to the fact that we have a choice and we can change things. You know, and we've talked about this before, but in my spiritual practice and growth over the years, I've often had uh, meditation results and images and just this knowing that I was going to be alive during kind of the crumbling of the civilization and knowing that every empire has fallen and that yeah. I was going to be alive kind of during, you know, maybe the fall of the American empire. And that was part of my suicidal thinking, even like when I was growing up and having trouble, like, well, I can, I have this sense that it's going to be it's going to be really hellish at some point. Why do I want to be here for that? Um, and I know you've had an experience too. So you want to share your, your vision? Yeah, I, I uh, had a vision. And I got to preface it with, I'm not a vision kind of guy. So, you know, I'm a scientist, basically. I'm a therapist. You know, I, I, I look and I, I work on evidence. And so the idea of, what I experienced was, was somewhat unsettling, to say the least for me. So to give you the picture, I was uh, in a sweat lodge ceremony at a men's gathering uh, in 1993. So that's how long ago it was. We're talking, you know, 27 years ago. And it was a sweat lodge. If any of you have been in or know about a sweat lodge, it's a, you know, it's one of the oldest spiritual practices of being in an enclosed space with hot rocks that you put steam on and it's a cleansing, it's a place where you pray, it's a place where you talk to the ancestors about what do I need to change in my own life, what does our tribe need to change. That's very ancient. You know, Native Americans have done it. They they have things like this in other cultures all over the world. So I was in a sweat lodge, this is the fourth round, so it was we've been doing it a while. 
And all of a sudden, uh, the person that was putting the water on the stones put too much water. It got incredibly hot, hotter than anybody could stand. And a number of people just crawled out of the, the enclosure, including the leader of the sweat lodge. Um, I was in the back of the sweat lodge where it's the hottest and I have asthma. So I, it's uh, often hard for me to even be in a lodge but I was transported into a vision. And what I saw in the vision was we were all on the ship of civilization. And that was not just the US, it was this whole civilization that's been going on 10,000 years. And the ship was sinking. And people didn't believe it was sinking because it's an unsinkable ship, it's been going on forever, will go on forever except it wasn't. And the people that tried to warn those at the top of the ship, you know, the people that were running the dominant culture of civilization, uh, they don't worry about it, it can't. And they locked up the people literally in this vision who were saying, this isn't working. The ship is actually sinking. It's got a leak and the water's coming in. Uh, and people started to escape. You know, I don't care what you say, it's, it's sinking and I'm getting out of here. And people got into lifeboats. And in the vision, each person could only get into a, a single boat. You couldn't get in a boat with a bunch of other people. You had to get in your own boat and row yourself in whatever direction you needed to go to get off the ship of civilization. And in the vision, what happened is as the people that got off were in a configuration of different connections through time off, off the ship, a new kind of network was formed. That was what was clear, that would communicate differently and would be able to create a new way of life beyond civilization that would be more sustainable, more livable, and more equal, because instead of it being hierarchical. And when I read Rianne Eisler's book about the chalice and the blade and the difference between the dominator culture and the partnership culture, I realized this was this is what the vision was saying to me. And I've been questioning, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to get off the ship of civilization? Well, now I think we've got probably the most clear wake-up call and clear, what does that mean? Well, it means we have to pay attention. It means we have to really notice how we feel. It means we have to change the way we interact with the environment. It means we can no longer keep heating up the environment and making the life support system unlivable for humans. It means we need to change our economic system because our economic system is good for a, a very small piece of the 1% or the one-tenth of 1% 1 at the top, and the people that are down below are not doing well. And now that economic system is crashing. And a lot of people are going to suffer from it, but out of that, we could and must create a different world if we want to you know, survive. And I had the vision that it it's possible hmm. you know it isn't hopeless in fact there's some very specific guidance that's what i teach you know on 
articles I write, books that I write, I say, all right, here's, now you're ready to hear. I've been talking about this for 27 years, and most of that time, people didn't want to hear it. <laughs> That's too scary. I don't see it happening. Things look pretty good where I am. Or some people have said, you know, I kind of get it. Well, more and more people are not just kind of getting it, they're getting it. And more and more people are going to go, you know, even if I could go back to business as usual, I don't want to. I want something better than the world that we've been living in. And as long as I'm going to be alive and I have any strength and I have children and grandchildren that I want to have a better world, that's where I'm going to put my energies. Cool. So when you had first had the vision back in 93, did, did it hit you that civilization was the sinking ship then? Or were you kind of like waiting to see it? Like, is it now? Has it been for the 27 years? What, what was that experience? Well, it was very strange. I still remember it. And there's some people that I know, friends, who were there. And when I came out of that sweat lodge, one, it scared the shit out of me. I mean, it, you know, it was like, like you'd expect when all of a sudden you, you see the end of the world. You know, so the first thing was just shock, trauma. It's like, you know, looking not only at your own death, but looking at the death of everybody. So that was the first thing. It was just, you know, shock and overwhelm. Then I started seeing the other part of the vision. Oh, yeah, there were these lifeboats. Not everybody went down with the ship. There was hope for some people that said, I see a different way, or I'm not even sure where I want to go, but I know I got to get off, got to get off this. So gradually then over the, the time of the gathering, we were there for three days, I shared it with some people. And a number of people were like, what does that mean? How do you get off if in fact the ship of civilization back in 1993 is sinking? What does that mean? Well, I think even in 1993, there were people that said, you know, race relationships are not as good as they could be. You know, there's conflicts between different groups. The environment is, you know, is in trouble. Even back then, people were recognizing something needs to change or people that were saying our economic system isn't working. So there were some people even then that saw that and have been doing things ever since then. But it's gotten increasingly clear to me, and with the COVID-19 happening, it's become crystal clear in my mind that this may be the last wake-up call. You know, we've been getting numerous wake-up calls, maybe in different forms for 10,000 years that we haven't paid attention to because it hadn't been that bad for us. It's been bad for those people, and they've been saying, hey, this isn't working. Well, now the message is, you know what? It isn't working for all of us. You know, there's nobody, whether you're rich, you're at the top of the ship, doesn't matter in the vision, whether you're on the penthouse suite at the top of the cruise ship, or you own the cruise ship and you're now on it, or you're in the boiler room down at the bottom where you're grimy and hot and sweaty. If the ship's sinking and you're on it, you're all going down. And that's, I think, what the message is now. It's saying your ship civilization, not just American culture, not just Russian, Chinese, any other 
you know, it's saying the whole thing now, we're all connected. You know, this is the first time in human history where the whole world is connected. A virus reminds us we are all connected. The virus will keep going until it infects everybody. Even when we get a vaccine, uh, which we may or may not, right. you know, there's not an AIDS vaccine, you know, there's treatments. So it's telling us we're all, we're all connected, we're all vulnerable, and in a way that we have never experienced, we really are all in this together. Some people don't want to believe that, and some people don't want to make the changes, and some people want to stay on the Titanic and, you know, and keep eating at the buffet, and some people are going to go, you know what, there's a better way, I'm going to take it. Yeah. So is it, so it's going to be difficult for everybody, but if you resist the changes, will it be even more difficult? Well, yeah. I, I, I don't know if it'll be more difficult. There's some people that, you know, anybody who's dealt with addictions, you know, there's some people just go, hey, man, I want to check out. Give me my drug. Give me my heroin. Give me my movies. Give me my. And so it, it will be not as difficult experientially you you may feel better if you deny it and you just pretend that it ain't happening or things are okay uh, until you get it until you get sick and the truth is not everybody who gets it is going to get sick and die in fact most people who get it won't get real sick and they won't die but the the conditions that it's waking us up to that's saying your environment is going to get you. If the virus doesn't get you, heating up the planet's going to get you. If heating up the planet isn't going to get you, and you keep as angry as you are with them, whoever them is in your world, you know, and some of them have nuclear weapons, you know, we can wipe the us's and them's out that way. Uh, or we can start to go, you know what? I guess we have to change so we're not always on the brink of disaster. You know, let's clean it up. Let's clean the environment up. Let's learn to live with the viruses in a more healthy way like we did for, you know, 99% of human life. I mean, before civilization, humans lived in a much more balanced way with nature. Civilizations only you know, six to 10,000 years old, long time, but compared to 2.5 or 3 million years that, you know, humans or human-like creatures have been on the planet, this is a relatively recent amount of time. So we've got a real long history of how to live in balance with nature. We have a very short, you know, kind of time in which we've forgotten that. And we're clearly on the brink of the if we don't wake up from the nightmare, we're going to go over the edge. But we've got a, a long history of how to do it, and we've now got a wake-up call that's telling us exactly what we're up against. And there are many people who are going, out of this, I know what to do. I have some ideas. No one person is going to be able to come up with the magical, and I certainly don't have it, answer that everybody can follow. But enough people who want to get off that sinking ship and say, all right, let's talk to each other. Let's do some podcasts. Let's talk about, well, 
what do we need to do? How do we organize together? I, I haven't given up. How about you? What, what can you and I do? What can 10 of us do? Just like the virus, you know, multiplies very fast, ideas can spread even faster, you know, and we have technologies now that can spread good ideas all over the world. And if these good ideas that actually are sustainable and workable spread to enough people and enough of us get to, you know, say, hey, let's try that out. Let's see how it works. We can change things. And that's, that's all I can do. Pretty exciting to think we are at this point. I mean, we don't have any choice about what period of time we live in. If you lived in the, you know, 1800s, that you'd be dealing with whatever the issues were then. You live in it 2020, at the end of this civilization era, well, this is where you are being called on, step up and join the change, or go back to sleep and, you know, just pretend it ain't happening. Either way, you're going to die, I'll die, but each, each period of life calls on us to step up to our highest selves. You know, what's your highest self? What's the best knowing, your best highest purpose in life that you really have been sent by your destiny to be here at this time? And what's mine? And what can we step up to together to maybe change things so that our children, grandchildren, the other generations that can still come after us if we make some changes now, what can we step up to to make that possible? That's what I'm interested in. So we've been hitting snooze on the wake up, the wake up calls keep getting snooze for decades. And it's, it's interesting how you said like every issue that is hitting us right now, aside from the virus um, was there in 93. Right. Just not loud enough for people to, or even it's not loud enough for people now to, to deal yeah. with at some point. Some people and, didn't. Yeah. One of the, the oldest pieces of kind of esoteric wisdom is the Emerald tablet. And it's, you know, as above, so below, as within, so without. Mm-hmm. And I've long like, wow, this virus is amazing. It's like, I find that all of the troubles among humans are the separation, the us and the them, as you said it. And there's infinite versions of us and them and who they are and where those lines are drawn. And here's this virus that says, all right, to survive, you know, as within, so without. So now without, you've got to be six feet apart. You've got to, now there's physical separation. Since you have mentally, emotionally, spiritually separated yourselves from each other so much, now here it is manifested in the world. Exactly. And what also is being manifested, and I've been, I, I have a group that I've been just making available. It's an online group that's free for anybody that wants to explore these issues in, in more depth. And one of the things, just checking in with people, there are people from all over the world that are on, you know, my, my kind of Zoom sessions with people. And we check in. So how's it going for you? It's, we, we had our, our, we meet every other week. Uh, the last one we had uh, was yesterday. And so it was just like, okay, I, I asked the question, so what are you grateful for and what are you afraid of these days? And what I heard consistently from a number of people, different parts of the world, that they were saying, I'm noticing there's actually more connections in my life than there were before. I may be physically distancing, but I'm calling up friends that I haven't talked to in a while. I'm reaching out to my kids and we're doing Zoom sessions or our grandkids. 
you know, I'm, I'm just reaching out to strangers who I pass on the street and I smile and say, how you doing? Or boy, you know, what's it like for you? Or when we're at the market and instead of just rushing in to get our, our food and get out, you know, I look at some of those people that are in the, the, the stores every day, you know, being available to feed us or the people that are, you know, driving the buses and the transportation, all the things that while we're staying distant, they're out there at risk. So what I found is there's actually starting to be a recognition that we maybe need and want to connect more deeply. And maybe we need to use other forms. Um, you know, we're obviously using a, a technology form right now that wasn't available, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. So I think connection is the key. I think you hit it right on the nose. What started happening 10,000 years ago was we got disconnected from nature. We saw nature as something to be used rather than humans being a part of nature. We thought we needed to dominate. We needed to control nature. We did to nature, the natural world, we started doing to ourselves. We started disconnecting from our hearts. We started disconnecting from ourselves. And once we're disconnected from ourselves and we're treating ourselves, you know, Martin Buber, the, the philosopher, said that there's two kinds of relationships that we can have. We can have an I-thou relationship, which is what humans had for, you know, most of human history, or we can have an I-it relationship. You know, an I-it relationship is we're disconnected. We treat the earth as a thing to be used. We treat ourselves as a thing to be used. We treat each other as things to be used. So now we're, we're recognizing, you know, it's kind of like the natural world says, hey, you guys, go to your rooms and sit there and think about it. You know, take a look at what you're doing and don't come out until you've got, you know, a different view of things. You know, listen, learn, look inside. You know, it, it's kind of like a universal wake-up call and in some ways a universal rite of passage that is telling us, all right, it's time to step into a new you a new way of relating, a reconnecting with ourselves, each other, and the world, and an opportunity for us to be different people than we have been and create a different world than we've more recently created. So as, as there was the Industrial Revolution and the Information Age Revolution, it's almost like there's a, an opportunity for a connection revolution? Not only the opportunity, but in a sense, a, a very clear demand. It's saying you either reconnect or you die. And some of the, the, the pain that you were speaking of at the beginning uh, and that so many people feel is the grief of that reality. I mean, it's hard enough to deal with the reality of personal death or the death of loved ones or the death of family. We've all experienced some degree of death if not from the coronavirus, from other, other aspects of our lives. But it's a whole nother experience to even contemplate the death of humanity, the death of my children and grandchildren, you know, before they grow up. I mean, 
or anybody, whether you have children or grandchildren, you know, you, you know, you, you know people, you care about people, you care about uh, people you know, and it's that potential for grief and for death. Also, I think the mirror image of that is the, the, the saddest, the deep, deep sadness. The other side of that is the love, you know, and desire for life that says, uh-uh, not on my watch. I'm not going to just lay down and die, nor am I going to simply eat, drink, and be merry and just wait for my time. Might as well have fun if we're all going to die anyway. Let's just, let's just go out in a flash. Or say, well, I choose a different thing. I choose to learn the lessons that the natural world is trying to teach us. And I think it's about reconnecting. And I'd rather do that. I think it's much more fun to connect uh, in the short run. Why not? You know, as long as I'm alive, why not be more connected? And why not learn to connect in the ways that I know are going to be helpful to keep humans alive longer and to get us back in balance with nature so we become a healthy species that all the other species of life go, hey, glad you humans are here. You've been, you've been a good partner for us. Because that's who we were for 99% of human history. You know, the natural world looked at us and said, yeah, you're not, you're not dominating. You're not taking over. You're fairly, you know, small group of you on the face of the planet compared to, you know, the other life, the rabbits and the deer and the bear and the, you know, the, the, the microorganisms. You're, 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 you're fitting pretty well. <laughs> and we can fit in well again, and I hope we will. Okay, so I'm, I'm I'm definitely so used to civilization that it's it's hard for me to comprehend that this this sinking ship civilization can end and it isn't the end of humanity. Right. So yeah. are you saying it's just like civilization shifts or truly is like I I guess I think civilization means people cooperating, people coming together as opposed to just tribes and individuals all their own. That to me that that connection is not as strong as it was perhaps, but connection meant civilization? Well, I think part of the, the problem is that when we went from being in balance with nature, what we called, you know, our par the original partnership societies, the hunter-gatherers, and we began to use, exploit nature to have larger groupings of people to go from villages to cities to you know, we kind of saw that as progress. We saw that as endless progress. We're going to have, you know, more things, more goodies, you know, more. And there was a lot that, that we created that was wonderful. You know, we health, we live healthier lives than people that lived, you know, 10,000 years ago. Uh, we, we have, you know, operas and we have beauty and we have, you know, we have books and we have, a lot of things that we want to keep, but here's the, the thing that we don't always recognize is that we can have all those good things, you know, all the creative things without destroying our relationship to the environment. We call it civilization. We named it ourselves, but another name, which Rianne Eisler and others have said, uh, and Jared Diamond and, you know, some other researchers called it, you know, the dominator culture. 
And if we recognize that there was an original partnership culture, you know, in a sense, it goes back to the beginning of time. You know, humans from our beginning evolved from other animals in balance with nature. And if we recognize that what can happen beyond the dominator culture and a return to our partnership roots, we're not going to go back to being hunter-gatherers. That was that period. But we can, you know, as Daniel Quinn, who's written a number of books about this, he called it beyond civilization or beyond the dominator culture. I call it the new partnership culture that we are being called on to form, reconnecting in, you know, ancient practices, but with the modern world that we want to keep. So that's, I think, the opportunity, but we have to let go of that conception that says civilization is one, it's inevitable, it's the best of what we could have, and that it will get better and better. And to be beyond civilization means that we go back to being in a way that's primitive, even though when you look at the way hunter-gatherers actually live, they actually live pretty healthy, positive lives. Uh, it isn't as, as dreary as some of those perceived it. And it can be even better if we develop a new partnership culture with taking what we've learned now and create something that's both as good as we would like it to be, but is sustainable. And that probably means there's going to be fewer humans on the face of the planet. You can't keep, you know, any species can't keep adding people infinitely because it doesn't work. And we've been, you know, if you look at any population studies, it's just humans have been going up and up and up and up. We can't do that. We can't have that kind of life. We can't use more and more and more and more and more of the Earth's resources that are finite and turn that into human stuff. That, that's got to end. So in addition, or coming soon <laughs> to the COVID-19, is, is obviously a mental health pandemic. Right. And it, are we already in that? Or is that, you know, a, a kind of a next wave? Well, we've been in it as part of the dominator culture from the beginning. I mean, it goes with the dominant. When you are separated from nature, when you are separated from other people, when you're separated from yourself, you are going to be more depressed. You're going to be more anxious. You are going to be, you know, more hostile. You're going to be angrier. So it's part, it's built in to the separation. So it's been there, but just like the, the wake up calls since 1993, we haven't paid attention to them. So there's been mental health crises going on, but it's going up. The suicide rates are going up, particularly among men. The homicide rates are going up. The violence rates are going up. And with the loss of jobs, with the crash of the economy, this is going to impact men harder than women, although it's going to impact everybody is happening. And we're seeing it in our, in every little town, you're going to see more suicides. That's happening now. It's going to happen more. Uh, you know, as people get out and uh, start trying to get back to a normal work and you find it isn't so simple. You know, you can't just destroy jobs and then create them again overnight. 
uh, a lot of people are going to lose a lot more and will be depressed. So part of what I've been doing, you know, is, you know, again, teaching people how do you not only get through this in a, uh, a healthy way, how do you stay alive physically, but how do you stay healthy emotionally? How do you deal with the, the uncertainties? How do you deal with the fears? How do you deal with the loss of jobs? How do you deal with the fact that you, you may not have a job? You know, how do you deal with the fact that what you did may no longer be viable? I was just talking to uh, uh, a guy just before I talked to you. He, uh, he owns a huge uh, health club and uh, uh, tennis club. Uh, and he was saying, I don't know how we're going to, they're mostly older people, you know, who tend to join these country clubs. He's saying, I don't know what, how we're going to do that in, in, in the future. That may be a job that will go, go out of business. Can you really do, you know, a country club? One, it's, it's elite, so you got to have a lot of money to join it, and maybe there's people are going to go, as have for years. Hey, how come you get to be in a club and the rest of us don't have parks and don't have places we can play tennis? So that may be a reality. But now with COVID, saying, how do, we, how do you protect yourselves and play tennis and you know, use the bathrooms and swim in the swimming pool and doing all that? So everybody's going to have to decide one, do I want to, do I want to stay alive? Do I want to change the system? Do I want to adjust to this new world that we're in? And those that do, there's, there's guidance available, not just, you know, what's happening from our government that said, we could never give this much money to anything. And now all of a sudden we found the money yeah. and we may not agree on how it should be spent and, whether it's actually going to all the people that need it, but you certainly got to say all of a sudden a government found money and not just U.S. government, but governments all over the world to spend money that they a month ago or two months ago or three months ago said it's impossible. We can't do it. They said it's impossible. We can't clean up the environment. Well, we did. You know, whether we want to keep it that way is another question, but We've done things that we thought were impossible. In this new world, we're going to see, we're going to be doing a whole lot of new and interesting and creative things. And I want to work with people who want to do that, want to find out how can we be creative? How can you make a good living in this new environment? How can you stay healthy in body, mind, and spirit and not have to succumb to a mental health pandemic that a lot of people are going to be caught in? Do, do you think it's this inability or, or a lack of ability to, to deal with the fear and certainty that is, that is leading to the rise in suicides for men? It's certainly a part of it. I mean, suicides for men have been uh, much higher than for women uh, forever. Yeah. And, you know, I I've, I've wrote about this 30 years ago. Um, but what we're doing is we're taking all the the conditions that cause that, the separations, the demand, what we call the man box of these values that say, don't feel, don't talk about your, you know, your insecurities, 
that adds to then feeling enclosed and under the pressure cooker. Uh, and all of those things have been there. But now we've added uncertainty, worries about death and dying, worries about am I going to have a job? Am I going to be able to support my family? Am I going to lose any savings that I spent a lifetime accruing? You know, do I want to be alive? You know, uh, is the world getting so chaotic and crazy and hostile? And, you know, do I want to just check out? I mean, these are questions that are mental questions, emotional questions. And I think there are answers that more and more people are saying, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be hostile, angry, blaming. Uh, I want to find a different way. Uh, and I don't care whether I'm on the left or the right, or I'm a Republican or a Democrat or an independent. I can't keep demonizing the other, the other side and making them the bad guy. Uh, We've got to find a different way to do politics. We've got to find a different way to do all our institutions because if you take any, any of them, say, you feel confident that politics is doing well by everybody. Most people would say, no, whatever side you're on. Would you say our healthcare system is doing well by everybody? You know, go down any of the major systems, and I think most people would say they're not working so well. So let's make them work. So I feel like, uh... My faith in, in all of us has been kicked in the nuts. Yeah. And, and your faith is still really strong. So I want to, has it always been that way? Have you had, are you always this confident in us pulling it off? Well, today, I mean, <laughs> if we, you know, if we had this uh, two weeks ago, if you looked at my journal, I mean, this is the journal that, I, that I've been keeping just since uh, I, the first of the year when I got sick. Maybe I had the early coronavirus in February, and you know it talks about my feelings of you know of death and dying and people so i mean i if if you read you know these pages say, "Oh, you know you don't sound so confident there yeah so part of it is i i i I generally am a pretty upbeat person number one i've I've dealt with depression and manic depression uh so i've you know I've been through it. And so I understand it better. So I, I, I don't run away from it. You know, I, I, I've been suicidal. My father's been suicidal. So if you've lived it and come through it, you're, you know, it does strengthen you or crushes you. And the other is it helps to have had a vision 27 years ago that says, here's what you're going to face and here's what you can do to fix it. That's nice. I mean, to have a, to have had a 27-year vision puts me in a, at least a better position. It hadn't stopped me from, you know, having a journal where I go up and down and get depressed some days and feel discouraged some days and think, to hell with it, I'm tired of being inside. I just want to go out and have fun, you know, or, you know, I'm going to have two glasses of wine or maybe three, you know, because I just don't want to deal with it. Uh, so... I think the key is that we've all felt discouraged. We've all, to some degree, probably had times, if you're of any age close to our ages, you probably had moments or weeks or months or years of despair. And 
if you survived, if you're alive, if you're watching this, listening to this, you also have had wonderful moments of, of love and connection and gratitude and seeing positive signs of what can be, you know, and seeing evidence that the world is, is, is more positive than our darkest, you know, nights would tell us. So I think we really are together. Some of us have a piece of our, our work that calls us more to the public arena. That's why I write books and I write an article every week. So I post, I go through these things. I tell people how I'm doing and my ups and downs. And I invite other people who resonate with, you know, with what I'm doing or with what others doing. Connect, you know, join, join in. Uh, don't be isolated. Don't be alone. That's the problem. The solution is to reconnect in some maybe new ways with maybe some new people or some old people that you've been, you know, haven't been connected with for a while and jump on board. This is a, this, this is a exciting time. And even when I feel down, I go, well, even today I feel down. Well, that's an exciting time too. Right. Yeah. Things can be exciting and you don't have to enjoy the excitement, but you no. can't deny that. Yeah. I mean, it's the old, I don't know if it's a Chinese blessing or a curse, but may you live in interesting times. And we, we certainly are. We certainly uh, are. There's no doubt on that. We certainly are. So is there any other kind of concrete steps that, that you could recommend someone to, to, to better navigate the sinking of the ship they're on? <laughs> Besides, you know, c- connecting and joining in and, and, you know, recognizing our own resilience perhaps more and, and then choosing to do something with it? Well, all of those things. Uh, I mean, just what you said, when, when you get that you, you, we clearly see something's dying, something's going under, and the, the intuition, unless you, you broaden your vision, is that it feels like everything's falling apart. It feels like everything's crashing, and it can feel discouraging if it feels like this is the end, the ship's going down. If you recognize that something is ending, but it isn't the end of humanity, unless we decide it is. You know, we, like I said, it it helped me to realize, you know, for 99% of human history, we've, we've lived pretty well in balance. For, you know, 1% or a half a percent, we've gotten careless, we've gotten traumatized, we've acted out of, you know, a, a, a wish to dominate that ultimately is a death wish. So just seeing that this isn't the end, this is just the end of a culture, a way of being, a dominator culture that wasn't sustainable and that we could choose a different way. So that's number one. Secondly, making a decision that says, I'm going to step up to what I know could be helpful in my life. So it means being smart and staying alive, you know, being safe. And there's lots of good information about how do you keep from dying from the virus. Uh, There's also good information that then says, okay, now that I'm going to be alive, how do I want to do with my life in these new times? Because I think that 
this virus is telling us this is the end of uh, a human lifespan that's gone on for 10,000 years. It's over. It, this is the end of it. It's going down. And if we choose to go forward, we have to go forward with some new beliefs, some new practices, some new connections, and that it's a opportunity to realize we really are resilient. You know, we, we are made for these times. You know, those of us that are here uh, who see this, who are listening to this, who say, yeah, I want to be one of the people that gets off the sinking ship. I'm not even sure what that means. I certainly didn't know what it meant at the beginning, but I said, I want to be one of those people. I don't want to go down with this ship. It's not a good ship to go down with. I want to talk to the other people that want to get off the ship and want to build something different. And then make those connections, you know, come visit, come see who else is out there, see who your new, you know, connecting mates are. They may not be the same old people that you used to hang out with. Maybe they are. Maybe they find out, hey, you're here too? Hey, that's great. Uh, let's, let's talk more. So I think, you know, there's some exciting opportunities for us to get through this together, to stay sane, to not let the uncertainty. I guess one final thing that I would remind myself and others to do is that our brains are hardwired for the negative. It's what kept us alive. So anytime there's a threat of death, we almost can't stop wanting to see what's the latest disaster. So it's hard not to watch television or get online and hear what the latest death toll is or what the latest stories are. And the media, you know, are part of, you know, the old culture that are trying to sell you products you know, advertising, and they sell it really well on keeping people scared. So I have to remind myself, don't watch that stuff. You know, it's not going to help you. There's good information that you can get, but you don't need to be watching every day the latest disaster because that will keep you scared. It'll keep you stirred up. It'll keep you feeling either discouraged or crazy or upset and limit that. I mean, totally cut yourself off from information, but you don't need to be watching the disasters every moment of every day. Take a break, get around people, go out in nature, go for a walk, you know, relax, meditate, you know, a lot of good things we can do than watch endless recountings of the, their perception of what the disaster is and what the other side is doing wrong. Right. We need to have a different perception. So those those are my my recommendations or sharings, and uh, beyond that, I just really honor people who want to stay awake, want to be willing to feel what they feel, and also feel and have the courage to want to do better for ourselves and future generations than we've done up until now. Cool. And what's the best way for people to connect with you and, and read everything that you're sharing? Uh, my, my kind of window to the world is called menalive.com, M-E-N-A-L-I-V-E.com. And you go there, you can see all the things I've written, my regular articles. If 
I have any groups, I let you know through those. Uh, you can email me and tell me, you know, if you heard that here. I, I mentioned to you if anybody emails me and says, uh, I heard you or I you know, heard you on Andy's show or whatever, anything that says something that you heard me here, I'll send you one of my, uh, I, I call it the Good Men Manifesto, interesting for women and men, that uh, tells you all the things that I think are important about who we are as, as men and what women need to know about men. And I'm happy to share that with anybody that asks for it. And it, with, with that said, does the role of men, is there a new role for men in this post-COVID world? Yeah. Uh, there's a role for everybody, first of all, so not just men. But the truth is that I think men have been the canaries in the coal mine for a long time, you know, indicating that things are not going well. Uh, and the the probably the strongest indicator of that is the suicide rate for males, you know, is anywhere between three and 18 times higher than it is for women. So there's something unique about the pain that men have been experiencing. And also, I think when you're in trauma, it's often those that get through it, who don't die, who say, you know what, I need to to be in a different place. So I think men are being particularly called upon to go beyond where we are to a, a new way of being in the world and to be able to create together something new. So yeah, I think there's something unique about being males that are calling us in some unique, specific ways that we need to step forward. And that's kind of part of the work that I do with men to help us all come together and do that better. Cool. Um, Jed, I really appreciate you taking the, the time to talk to talk with me and all of our listeners, but really, I feel like this is a good selfish show for me. Like I said, before we start recording, uh, Jed asked how I was like, I'm not good. And, and that's why I'm saving it for the show. I'll tell you in the show. Um, I just right. have learned to trust myself that when I'm going through something, if I share it, there's, there's always other people going through that same thing. And right. so that's another way to connect is to sh share more, be open more. Um, right. you know, if you're like me, if you're, if you're listening and if you feel like your, your faith has been kicked in the nuts, uh, don't deny it. Like feel what's showing up. Like it's okay. Exactly. Right. Um, yeah, what, absolutely. Wherever we're on the sinking ship we are, we're all humans <laughs> and we all still that's have right. all of the emotions are there. And exactly. You know, as kind of our wake up calls get more intensified, um, certainly our emotions can feel more intensified too. Sure. And that's good. That's part of what reminds us we're alive and reminds us we're connected and it reminds us that we need to connect and let each other know, Hey, I'm here. I'm feeling too. And let's, let's feel together and let's heal together. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. So uh, thanks again, Jed. Thanks for everyone listening. Um, visit realmenfeel.org for the show notes, for all the links to all of Jed's fantastic books and to get in touch with, with menalive.com. Uh, read everything that he's putting out. It's, it's all, I have, I have never read a Jed Diamond piece that I didn't think was fantastic. And I can Thank completely you. say that. That's very kind. Cool. Thank you. Um, and through this all and beyond, if you, once you get in your lifeboat, whatever that might be for you, be good to yourself, be good to each other, and be willing to make new connections because that's the only way we get through this. All right. Thanks, everybody. Indeed. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. 
contact us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you are discovering Real Men Feel.